0: We are Fall Fest, so um, you really got to, to focus then because I think there's going to be maybe the smoke of hamburgers floating around out here. Um, but anyway, uh, it's going to be a Fall Fest. We're going to follow the, uh, the service immediately following the service. Uh, we're going to, have, you know, we'll all be outside. We're going to have various ways to be as safe as we can, but certainly everyone is invited. Um, I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, now, Western Are we going to have our thing going today? Where's Weston? Oh, it's up. All right, there you go. I just, it may not be that low. There, there, just did not want anybody to wonder what uh, is flying above us. It's not from the government. It's from the youth, uh, youth group. Uh, So, so that's that. Uh, But anyway, let's go ahead and prepare our our hearts uh, for a good day of worship.
1: Oh man! You know,
0: somewhere John
1: Knox is out there going, "Man, you Scottish Presbyterians, getting back to it." Cannot get the organ outside. Well, it's not going to stop us. We'll just get a bagpipe. Uh, welcome this morning. You're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. How neat is that to hear uh, the pipes piping uh, the great hymns of the faith? Um, we're going to have a great time worshiping outdoors today. I'm glad that you were here. I want to once again remind you that. Next week is our fall fest, as Jim did. Invite somebody. We're going to be outside the whole time. Invite somebody to come by and have a, have a burger to stay late and to get to know our church family. If you do see a drone flying over top during worship, like I said, like Jim said, it's not the government. Uh, we thought it would be really neat to capture some images of what we do outside when we're outside here. We could put that on our website so people could know uh, what it looks like around here in this time of COVID. Um, that being said, I want to call you to worship. You're at the right place the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand now for our responsive call to worship. We're going to do this by saying together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and to hell third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into hell and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the
2: life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we worship together this
1: morning.
0: Let's go to our God in prayer. Before we do that, I we do, we do want to read a text from the book of Romans. And it really is. It's a wonderful little synopsis of the gospel. But you'll notice some interesting words in it the words of being weak, being ungodly, being enemies, being sinners, under the wrath of God, and how it moves us to being children of God. Apostle Paul writes, For while we were still weak, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Justified, saved, and now we rejoice. Let's pray together. Almighty and holy God, unsearchable, infinite, eternal, and compassionate, we approach your throne of mercy not as enemies, but as children, for Christ died for us, resulting in our justification and our eternal joy and happiness. Forgive us this day our sins. We confess that we too often, even as children of of light, have listened to the vain promises of this world. Have taken for granted your rich graces. Have ignored your voice. given to us in your word. Have judged others harshly while forgetting our undeserved mercies. Have mocked God, not believing that what we sow, we will reap. Be truthful, we have loved our sins. Trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. So today we confess repent. forgive. Open our eyes to see your mercies and truth in the midst of all things, even that which is beyond our understanding. Our gracious God, we pray for your mercy upon this earth that the humble are to inherit. Give relief and spare lives. Like Solomon, we know that your judgments bring the fear of God. We pray that those you seek will see that it the kindness of God that brings repentance and be saved. And like Paul, we would know that all things work together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. God of all provision, bless now our offering. Let it always be cheerfully given, accounting the gospel mission our holy priority, even as it is yours. Today, Lord, we rejoice in him who brought your kingdom. Kingdom you gladly give to your children. And so we pray for that kingdom, as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom
3: Sin was great, your love was greater See the King of Glory coming on the clouds behind The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. Yeah. I see His love. She now to take their place with selfless faith with selfless
1: I've ever seen someone walking through a minefield, was watching, watching those two little boys run through the courts here, I was so scared, I thought all these, <laughs> all these speakers were going to come down uh, live on TV. Well good morning everybody, it's good to be with you again. I stand before you today with one job, and that job is to proclaim the good news of the gospel found in scripture. I have no authority to speak other than that which I find in the word of God. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of work today out of Psalm 18. And if you were to look in your insert here, you're going to find a copy of Psalm 18. If you don't have that, I'm sure the deacons can you get one. Or if you have a phone, you can probably access Psalm 18 on your phone as well. Um, last week, we began looking together at the Psalms, and we noted a few things we need to review. First, the Psalms are the psalm book of the Bible. Before uh, the hymns, before we had praise songs, the church had the psalms to sing. Secondly, we discussed how the psalms are not just songs, but that they are also very much prayers. Uh, prayers of the saints that have been put to music and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the early church scholars was a man by the name of Athanasius. and He wrote this about the psalms. Listen up. He said, whatever your particular need or trouble, you can select a form of words from the Psalms that will fit, and thus learn a way to remedy your ills. In other words, what Athanasius is suggesting is that whatever situation you find yourself in in life, whatever situation you come with this morning, you can find a Psalm uh, which will uh, train you on how to pray. Do uh, you know how to pray after failure? Well, try Psalm One Nineteen. You know how to pray in anger. Well you can look at Psalm 109. And for some folks it's kind of strange that there's a that there's a prayer book in the Bible because when they think about the Bible, they say, Well, isn't that where God is speaking to us? And aren't our prayers supposed to be us speaking back to God? But I want to tell you to make no mistake that the Psalms are both of these things. They are at the same time the perfect inspired word of God. Uh, and they're also infallible inerrant, and errant, and yet the prayers in, that we find in the Psalms are also prayed by humans to God and you can use them f- for you to pray to the Lord as well And when you pray the Psalms One of the things you need to understand is that you are praying the very word of God I want you to consider this verse in 1st John. It's 1st John 5 14 and 15. I bet you've heard it before Here's what it says Would you like me to preach off this instead. That's no, all y'all right. hear this Okay, well, we, hopefully we have a little less feedback here. Uh, 1 John 5, 14 through 15, here's what it says. And this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. Uh, we know that we have the request that we have prayed of what is asked of him. It's a very interesting verse as it pertains to prayer. Here's what First John is suggesting, Okay. It suggests that we can have confidence that when we ask for something of God, first, he will hear us, and second, we will have our request. That's what John says, but we left something out of that, didn't we? What we left out was we have to ask for things that are in accordance with God's will. If we want to to have God hear us, and if we want every one of our requests to be honored, we have to ask for what's according to God's will. God is not a genie, and you don't control God. He's not trapped in your lantern. God has a sovereign will for your life—a will laid out before the foundations of the earth. And when you pray for things that agree with God's will, God will hear you, and you will have those things. Have you ever heard of this theology that exists out in the world? And it's called the "name it and claim it" theology. You ever heard of that before? It's part of the the false teaching of the prosperity preachers. And the "name it and claim it" theology goes something like this: It's it's a way they think about prayer. They say that you can simply ask for whatever you want. You can ask for cars or jewelry or health or riches, and you can just name what it is that you want, and you can claim it as yours in the name of Jesus, and by faith God has to give it to you. That's kind of their logic. And one of the reasons I think this is a very weak theological position on prayer is that in the name it and claim it way of thinking, uh, that kind of prayer makes God so weak. You can make God do whatever you want by simply naming what you want and claiming it as your own. And all you have to do is kind of believe enough. That kind of position makes you actually greater than God, more powerful than God. You can control God in a name and claim it. Later. I don't know about you, but, but I'm an idiot. I mean, I am. I don't, I don't know what I need. I have no idea what I really need in this world. I don't want to live in a world in which I know better than God. If you say to me, Tyson, you can either
2: uh, live your plan for your life, or you can choose to live God's plan
1: for your life, I'm choosing God's plan because I think I would just mess things up. The truth is that we can never really control God. And what's more, that kind of thinking on prayer, that, that kind of name it, claim it, it kind of borderlines on sorcery. It's a desire to have a divine power instead of having a divine father. If we believe what we read a second ago in 1 John, then the key to life-changing prayer is knowing the will of God. Therefore, we can pray in accordance with the will of God. And if we know God's will and our prayers line up with God's will, we can trust that God hears us and that we will have what we ask. That's why praying the Psalms can be so helpful. Because when you're praying the psalms, you're praying the very will of God by praying the very word of God, which have been prayed through the centuries by the people and the saints of God. So let's learn to pray the psalms. Last week, we looked specifically at a grouping of of psalms called the Psalms of Wisdom. We read together Psalms 1, and we discovered that we find wisdom in the word of God, and that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. This week, we're going to pivot We're going to talk about a new category of psalms. We're going to talk about psalms of praise. How might you be affected by praying the psalms of praise this morning? I want to read together Psalm 18, uh, a few things about Psalm 18. Uh, First of all, when some of the people saw Psalm 18 and asked me if I planned on reading the whole thing today, they chuckled a little. They said That is the longest song in the Bible, and I said, it is not. It is the third longest. Thank you very much. But it is very, very long. But uh, you know what? If you're a preacher and uh, you don't have your, your stuff together, on uh, your, your sermon together on Sunday morning, uh, you can pick Psalm 18. It'll just kill some time. And we're, we're going to read it all together. Before we do, we're going we're gonna to have a little context here. Uh, Psalm 18, it, it's one of those psalms that's, a, that's accompanied by a superscription. Now, a superscription is a little uh, section of text meant to give us context about who wrote the song and what it's about. And here's what the superscription of Psalm 18 says, okay? It says this, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hands of all of his enemies and from the hands of Saul. That's going to tell you what Psalm 18 is about. It's about this, this prayer of thanksgiving and praise that comes after, Saul, or comes after David has been rescued from the hands of all of his enemies, specifically Saul. Uh, so let's read together from Psalm 18. If you are able, this would be the time when I would ask you to stand, and you're going to get a good chance to stretch your legs this morning as we read the entirety of Psalm 18. Before we read this psalm together, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, expectant when we come to the word of God. That you are gonna speak. We we stand, and in so doing, we submit ourselves to your word. Father, speak it over us. Quicken our hearts to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the eighteenth Psalm. I love you, O oh Lord, my strength. Lord is my rock and, and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. My God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and it rocked, and the foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire came from his mouth, glowing coals flamed from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherubim and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones, coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and and, and rooted them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. Sure rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. For all his rules were set before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his sights. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves to be true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and and made uh, my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me. Your gentleness made me great. He gave a wide place for my steps underneath me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. And exalt be to the God of my salvation. And God, who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Church, the grass withers. And the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. I deserve some sort of a prize for being able to read all that. That was pretty, That's a lot, but it was good. One of the famous photographs, you know, you look at throughout history, There's there are these photographs that have been taken, and, and some of them stand the test of time. And, and you can still look at them today, and you know what they mean one of the greatest photographs from the 1940s was of a picture of a sailor and a young nurse in Times Square, and they had just gotten the news that the war was over. And uh, the sailor, he, he sweeps up the nurse in his arms, and he plants a big kiss on her. And just at that moment in Times Square, this picture is taken. And so we have this picture of the sailor kissing this nurse in black and white. And if you've seen it, it's called The Kiss. And it's, it, it's forever kind of been beloved as, as, as what it felt like for the war to be over and, and celebration. And uh, I think one of the reasons it's so beloved in this country is it captured how everyone was feeling. After years of fighting, after years of sacrifice, after years of death, the war was finally over and we had won. And in many ways, Psalm 18 is very similar to that photograph. It is a snapshot of David in a moment of his life full of victory, full of joy. Finally, after decades of fighting, the wars for David were going to be over, and David finds himself reflecting, and his heart is thankful. I'm going to call out a few verses, and if you have that out before you, you can kind of read them along with me. We're going to break this psalm down a little bit. Psalm 18, beginning, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. He says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, he's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. I called upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemy. There's something about these words that give me great courage. I I know they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and know they reflect how David felt. Uh, These words are kind of the words of a warrior. Have have you noticed that, like someone who would, would have been at war? David seems so confident that the reason that David was victorious was, and the reason that he survived all the attacks of his enemies was because of God. It was, it was due completely to the care and protection of the Lord. And look at the language that David uses in those first three verses, that, that the Lord is his strength, his, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his refuge, his shield. God is his great protector. It's like David saying, Lord, I know it was you that kept me safe. Lord, to you, you were like a shield or a fortress or a refuge for me, someplace where I could hide. Someone this week uh, had emailed me and said, um, what does it mean in that song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me? They said, what does that mean, that cleft for me? What is it? And I said, well, that, that cleft is, is, is a, it's kind of a cave or a hole in the rocks where you could hide. And that's what David's saying is, like, in my times of trouble, you became a hiding place, a fortress. David begins to describe the way he felt when he was having to hide, when, when he was being attacked. And he does that in verses 4 and 5. Look at that. He says, the cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Now think about what this means. David's saying death was coming for him. He said he's, he was, he's kind of getting entangled by it. It was, it was beginning to pull him down. There's a repetition to this imagery. It's saying the same thing four different ways over and over again. First, the cords of death are pulling. Second, the torrents of destruction are saying the same thing. They're dragging him. And a torrent is just like a, a strong pull of water. It's a strong, you know, the torrent of a, of a river pulling you downstream. Then the cords of Shale are entangling him. And shell is this place of great darkness, and it's also known sometimes as Hades. Finally, David says there are snares of death that are trying to trap him. It's all saying the same thing. It's this poetic prayer. But David is saying what he's actually praying is, Lord, I I was going to die. I was about to die. And in death, go to that place of darkness, and I could feel it around me like ropes trying to drag me in. And then in verse 6, David cries out to the Lord. This is what he says in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. What a great visual uh, for our lives sometimes. Have you ever felt like you're just being drugged down? Have you ever been in a place in life like that? Uh, Where you just have an awful season of life. We go through seasons, don't we? And in that season, you just need God's deliverance. Psalm 18 is a great psalm to pray when you're in a season of your life where you feel like you're entangled in the cords of death. Maybe 2020 for you is that miserable season in your life. Maybe you feel like you've been entangled in the cords of death. Maybe today this will be a word for you to pray in prayer. Use Psalm 18 today. As, as, as we read Psalm 18, you do get this sense. get a sense of the kind of story that David is telling in his prayer. It's going to be a, a story of God's rescue of him. David cries out, and the Lord hears him from heaven. And what happens next? What happens after the Lord hears him? Uh, the poetry of this psalm describes the Lord and His response. And if you look at verse seven, we begin to see uh, a great, almost like creation. Uh, the earth begins to quake and the mountains begin to tremble because the Lord is angry. In verse eight, we continue to see God's anger. Smoke comes from His nostrils, fire comes from His mouth. And then in verse nine, God does an interesting thing. David suggests that God bowed the heavens and came down. Interesting way to say that, isn't it? That God bowed the heavens and came down to save David. The visual images which the psalmist used to describe God coming are very interesting. God comes down to earth, and under God's feet, we're told that there was a thick darkness. I wonder what that would be like. And that he rides upon a and, and he rides on the, the wings of the wind, and that God makes darkness his covering. What would that look like? Imagery is, is almost like God cloaking himself in darkness in a in a dark cloud. And then out of this dark cloud, as it begins to approach his his enemies, that you begin to see hailstones and coals of fire start to break through the clouds. Uh, God's sending forth arrows. He's sending forth burning coals and lightning to scatter the foes of David. And finally, God reaches David. And it's a triumphal moment. And, and, and God snatches him up. And if you look at verse 16, it says this, that he sent from on high that he took me and he drew me out of the many waters. What do you want to bet? Like when I think about the New Testament and who might have prayed this prayer in the New Testament, I kind of go, how, how might Psalm 18 have been used? And I, I remember that story of Peter when he's on the boat with the disciples, and and Jesus comes up at night and it's dark, and Jesus is walking, and uh, really all the disciples were really scared. They were terrified that there would be a man walking on the waves at night in the darkness, and you would be too. Don't lie, if you're out on a boat and you're 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 fishing and it's dark. And all of a sudden, a man comes walking up on the water. None of us think that's funny. We're all a little bit scared. And they recognize who it was. And and Peter says, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus simply says, come. And and Peter steps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. And then he gets all what, what we would do too. He's like, man, this isn't natural. I'm not supposed to be doing this. He gets panicky, and he starts to sink. Peter lets out a scream as he starts to go under, and all he says is, Lord, save me. You have to wonder if, uh, if Peter ever looked back after that moment, and he looked back at Psalm 18, and he used that prayer to describe his experience. He, you remember that part where he said, I called upon the Lord. We hear that heaven was bowed, and, and he came down, and he took me, and he drew me out of the many waters. Have you ever felt that way before? I, I, I bet Peter probably prayed that prayer. If you look back to Psalm 18 and we look at verse 17, David says of God that God rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. I'm so appreciative that as as David writes this psalm, that he doesn't say God rescued me from Saul. He doesn't say God rescued me from the Philistines. He kind of just says God rescued me from my strong enemy. And what I like about that is in doing so, it kind of invites us all to overlay this psalm onto whatever our strong enemies are. This could be a psalm about the strong enemy of cancer. This could be a a song about the strong enemy of addiction. It could be a song about the strong enemy of temptation. Those are all strong enemies. And in every one of those situations, I can imagine that just like the words of David, we might think that this enemy of mine hates me this enemy of mine is too strong for me. In verse 18, David says of his enemies that they confronted me in my day of calamity. But the Lord was my support. Those of you who know, you just know. You know what it's like to have the Lord in a day of calamity. You ever experienced a day of calamity? Death of a spouse. Loss of a friend loss of a job, the, the embarrassment, maybe the loss of your reputation in the community. David says that in the day of his calamity, that's when his enemies were there. Not often the case. But he says that the Lord was his support. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says that the Lord brought me out into a broad place, a place where his feet could stand secure, and he rescued me. And why does he say that he rescued him? Because he delighted in me. I think that's an important thing. In verse 20, David says some interesting things. He he says a little bit more about the reason for this rescue. At first, in verse 19, David says, we just read that, that he was rescued because God had delighted in him. And that rings true to me. I think God does delight in us. Most of us are rescued by God in our life because it brings God joy to rescue us. But starting in verse 20, David seems to be saying that God's rescue in his life had something to do with some sort of personal righteousness, right? If you if you look at it, look at look at verse 20 and 21. It says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now, sure, it sure seems like David is claiming to be righteous, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what it seems like? Even though we know that's not the case, I mean we we know David's not without sin, and we know that David knows he's a sinner. Even though at the time of the writing of this psalm it predates uh David and the Bathsheba story, we still know that David is not a man without sin. And we know that he doesn't really think he's a man without sin. Look at Psalm it's not there, but I'll read it to you. It's Psalm 14, two through three. It says this the Psalm looks down from heaven, uh, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see. If there are any who understand, any who seek God, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And this includes the author of Psalm 19 or 18. This includes David. No one is sinless, not even David. But so how can he claim this? The question is, how would a Jew have understood righteousness? A fair question. How would a Jew have understood righteousness. David's a Jew and as such he would have understood that his righteousness comes through the covenant with God. David has faith that, that through the covenant that he's made with God uh, that his sins are going to be forgiven. Uh, if you remember God's covenant with Abraham and kind of how it was worded, scripture says that Abraham believed and it was what? credited to him as righteousness. If that same logic holds true for David, which it should because it's the same covenant, well, then when David believes, he is credited as being righteous. And it's that righteousness becomes like a banking term where righteousness is a credit that is given to David by God. And, and it's not really David's, but it's given to him. It's credited to him. Now, what is interesting is this. A way of thinking about this. You may have never thought to ask this question before in your life. What is it that washes away the sins of Old Testament believers? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is it that satisfies the wrath of God for an Old Testament believer? For you and I, we have we have peace with God because of the, the blood of Jesus, right? That's how we're made righteous. We believe that. What provides for the righteousness of Of the Old Testament believer, it's kind of a trick question, or at least a tricky question. It's the covenant promise that points uh, to the same thing that satisfies the wrath of God for you and me. They trust in God and his covenant, but ultimately, how God honors the Old Testament covenant is by the blood of Jesus, right? Even though it hasn't happened yet, God justifies his his people, his, his old covenant people, and his new covenant people by the blood of Jesus, And in a sense, David can boast about having clean hands because God has declared his hands clean and will wash them by the blood of Jesus. In reality, there's no one righteous, not one. But in the covenant reality, David is clothed in Christ's future righteousness. Christians say that because of the blood of Jesus one day we'll say this we we're really comfortable with this we'll say one day we will stand faultless before the throne of God we we sing that in song. In the same way David could say that because of the promise of the covenant I stand faultless to be rescued by God. Today we've been reading from from Psalm 18. It's one of my favorite psalms. I hope I hope you like it. Uh, it's a psalm of praise. It's a very, I don't know why, sometimes I come to the psalms, and as a man, I should should delight in all the word of the Lord, and I do, but but as a man, I really want to hear manly psalms, and and this is as manly a psalm as it gets. It talks about God being my fortress and my refuge. It's a psalm of of victory and war. So the question is, when might it be appropriate for you to pray a psalm like this? When does it make sense? Well, like I said earlier, maybe you've been sick. And now you're well. And you know God was the one who rescued you. Maybe you've been delivered from abuse. Maybe you've been delivered from addiction. And now you feel the need to praise God for his deliverance. Let me let me share with you one other reason why I think we should all pray Psalm 18. Every one of us. Every one of us can and should pray this psalm. And here's why. It's because the great enemy in Psalm 18 is our great enemy. It's death. The enemy isn't Saul. It's not the Philistines. Look back at Psalm 18. The great enemy is death. It's the cords of death that had a hold of David. It's the it's death's torrents and the snares that threaten. And, and what does God do to save David from death? God comes down. He bows the heavens. He comes down as a rescuer. And what I I hope you see is that Psalm 18 is a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus. For you and me, this was our reality. Because of sin, we were entangled in the cords of death. And yet, God came down. He, he, He bowed the heavens to rescue us in the person of Jesus and, and Jesus, just like God was a rescuer here in this psalm, he did all these things. Jesus put your feet on solid ground. Jesus scatters your accusers. Jesus was your protector. Jesus is your rock and your stronghold and your shield and your salvation. And Jesus is even the person that, that David is describing in verse 20 there when he starts talking about a man of righteousness. Jesus is rescuing us based on his own merits. Isn't that crazy? This psalm will preach, as they say. May you use it in your life this week. To God be the glory. Let's have a moment of prayer together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your rescue. We all know what that's like, God. Uh, Because of sin, death had entangled us. And we cried out to you. And in your graciousness, you bent heaven low. You came down in the person of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ, to you be all glory and honor. Christ, you were righteous, fully keeping the law, and dying the death that we should have died. You brought us salvation. So great is your name, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said amen. Church, let's sing one more time together. all. Yeah. Make sure y'all are awake after a sermon like that. God is good. He is our great rescuer. While we were entangled by the snares of death, he bowed down the heavens and sent his son to live a righteous life and die upon a cross that we might have peace with our God and thus sing the praises. One of the greatest psalms in the Bible, one I love very much, Psalm 18. Include it in your prayer life. Church, we have been the church gathered. Go and be the church scattered. And as you do... Take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus, the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Until we meet again, let us sing once more.